disciple. A few weeks ago, I brought up that Eugene Peterson book, Living the Resurrection, and it's that, that, um, that challenge between living um, the time between you accept Christ and the time between he takes you home. Um, you know, whatever that gap is, how do we fill it? Um, how do we fill it in our neighborhoods, in our offices, in our families? How do we become um, the man, the woman, the son, the daughter that God desires us to be? And so we have been praying about this a lot and thinking about it a lot and um, doing a lot of whiteboarding because we like to whiteboard things. Um, we like to channel Tim Russert, apparently, every now and then. Nobody? Really? One person got that joke? It's a political season. Um, I know he's, you know, gone, but uh, so we... Uh, want to move off campus um, in a way that we create this academy of sorts where we train people up in the ways of discipleship and disciplehood and go into uh, the community being the men and women God has called us to be. And we have our own ideas and we have our own thoughts and where we think God is taking us, but we want to hear from you as well. And so the first two Sundays of February, what we would like to do is to meet um, immediately after the 11 o'clock service in the parlor and to open it up to hear your, um, your thoughts. Uh, we ask you to begin to pray about it, to think about it, um, to come to us and say, this is the worst. I, God told me to stop it, um, you know, to tell you all to stop it. Uh, something like that, if that's what you think God's going to tell you. Um, we may ignore you, but, um, you know, we want, you, we want to be in conversation uh, with you about this. So if you have questions about this, we're calling this the bridge, essentially. Um, that means a lot to us. Um, but one of the things, the base thing is bridging, um, that experience of life between acceptance of Christ and when he brings you home. Um, if you have questions about that, please see me after the service. All right. We are in Matthew 23 and this begins, um, kind of the fifth block of the teachings of Jesus. The way that Matthew has set the book of Matthew up is he has taken us through, um, four blocks of teaching interspersed in some stories and history about what was going on. But there are five main compartments of the teachings of Jesus, opening with the Sermon on the Mount, finishing here in chapters 23 through 25. Um, in this block of teaching, it's kind of the, the last, you know, he's on his way to the cross, and this is his last um, outpouring of teaching to us. And the reason Matthew does this is, if you remember from the very beginning, um, two years ago, uh, when we started Matthew, what we said was that Matthew is setting Jesus up as Moses, but so much more, right? I mean, he is setting Jesus up as, because the Jews are looking for the Messiah. Their, their chief guy that they look to has always been Moses. Moses, the, um, the author of the first five books of the Bible, um, the Torah, the Pentateuch. These are these five books of the Bible, which we talked about. The Sadducees say everything must come from this part of Scripture. Otherwise, it is baseless. The Pharisees believe that there is great power in these first five books. All Jews believe that the first five books are powerful. This is Moses. These are his words, his wisdom from God. And so what Matthew has been doing is setting Jesus up as, here's the new one. Moses led you through a time of, uh, of desert wandering, brought you up to the river, and then said, see y'all on the other side, right? He didn't get to go across, but he sent the people. He led them to that point of moving into the promised land. Jesus takes us out of this time of wandering in the desert, in the wilderness, leads us to the river Jordan, new, but he's already gone. 
who jumped ahead and said, I will go and be there when you get there. I'm going to prepare it for you. He's setting him up time and time again as this picture of Moses, but so much more. Here is the Messiah. Once again, remember, Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, trying to tell them this is who you think it is. If you don't, you should start thinking this way. He is the Messiah. So here is the fifth book, the first five books of the Bible. Moses, here are the fifth Uh, The five points of teaching. This is the fifth one to to once again remind the Jews of Jesus's Messiahship. And he begins with this. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the scripture. So practice and obey whatever they say to you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they preach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside. And and they wear extra long tassels on their robes. And how they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. They enjoy the attention they get on the streets. And they enjoy being called rabbi. Don't ever let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher. And all of you are on the same level as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father. For only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you master. For there is only one master, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. You think that's biting? (laughs) Wait till next week. But he opens with this. He opens with the Pharisees and the scribes he's talking about are the religious leaders. Listen to what they say. And he's right. They were the religious leaders. They were the ones whom God had put in place to deliver his law. See, here's what happened a long time before this. The the Israelites were exiled once again. And when they return from uh, the time of exile, they come into Jerusalem. This is in the book of Nehemiah. They return to Jerusalem. They build a wall. It's in the month of October. And it says, my translation says October 8th. On October 8th, they have built the wall. They gather together. Nehemiah, the governor, allows Ezra, the priest, to come forward. And for the first time... In generations, the word of God is read. And what happens to the people? They fall down on their face and they begin to weep. Think about that. I just read the word of God. How many of you had the desire to fall on your face and weep? It had been removed from them for so long. This treasured, the breath of God, the wisdom, the words of God. God spoke into being. The word of God is powerful and mighty. But so often we see it on bumper stickers and it loses significance. Because we just treat it as any other language. 
But these people, when Ezra begins to read the words, they fall on their face and they begin to weep. And what they say, what happens is like this, this national day of acceptance and rededication to the word of God. And what they say is, whoa, Ezra's like, hey, get up. Don't weep. This is a day of celebration. The word of God has come back to us. We have forgotten many things because we've been cut off from it. But now we are alive again in the word of God. And so let there be joy and celebration, essentially. And they have a big party. And then the next day they get in deeper to the word of God. And so what they do in order so that this would never happen again is they set up religious organizations to carry forward the teachings of God. The scribes, the Pharisees, these people who would be in charge of the word of God so that it would never pass from memory again. But what happens is like any institution, the institution becomes more and more powerful and bigger and they start doing things just for the existence of the institution and they forget their purpose for being there. The Pharisees' stated goal was to fence in the laws of God. In other words, we want to know everything about the laws of God. And some of them, you are not allowed to carry more than a burden on, um, on Passover, on, on the Sabbath. What does that mean? Well, we have to figure out what the weight of that is. So let's begin to write all these different minute laws about what this is. And what happened is law upon law upon law upon law. All this interpretation was so vast and so big that nobody understood. Nobody knew. And no one could fulfill these laws. Not even the Pharisees, not even the ones who were supposedly in charge of these things, but they like to tell you that they did. They like to show off. They like to wear these big tassels. Now, what it's talking about there when it says they wore their tassels really long are these zitzi tassels. And God talks about it multiple times. When the woman who is, uh, is uh, reaching out to Jesus to be, to be healed from her bleeding, what does she do? She grabs on to these tassels of Jesus in there, his power. And what they would do is like, well, yeah, your tassels are that long. I'm going to make them this. You know, people are like tripping over their tassels. They make them so long. Look how holy I am. Look at my tassels. And then these boxes, these phylacteries, they were called. These are boxes that if you remember when we talked about the Shema, it says to uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Teach your children these things. Remember them when you wake, when you go to bed. Write them on your doorposts. So as you go through, you see them, put them in boxes on your head. If you remember, Daryl did um, the Shema completely in Hebrew, and he did kind of the, um, the, the, the arm motions, I can't even say it, this thing, uh, with it. He was Italian, you know, uh, with it. And, and this was the, the sign, the box right there on your head. And so what, what Jews would do at times of prayer, and a lot of times it exceeded the times of prayer, but they would put these little boxes on their wrists. And in the box on your wrist would be um, four scrolls. 
And these four scrolls would have uh, the writings of these scriptures. Exodus 13, verses 1 through 10, verses 11 through 16. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 through 9. And Deuteronomy 11, verse 13 through 21. All of these scriptures are remembrances of God. Uh, uh, the Exodus ones are remembering God bringing them out of, um, of Egypt, out of exile. Sets up the Passover celebration. Sets up the dedication of males. It sets up remembering who's in charge. Who gives you freedom. Who brings you out of the darkness. Deuteronomy, it's the Shema. Deuteronomy 6 is the remembrance to love God with everything. And Deuteronomy um, 11 is to remember the teachings of God so that you can flourish because if you forget them, you will perish. Each one of these has something that says, write them in a box. So they would put it on their wrist and then you would also tie one to your forehead. And what some of the Pharisees, and not all of the Pharisees, mind you, but some of the Pharisees were doing was they would get bigger and bigger boxes. And I have this picture of a guy walking like this because his box is so big. Look how pious I am. Look how holy I am because my box is so big. But all the while, he's not really keeping the commands of God. All the while, it's more about show than it is about heart. It's more about what you say rather than what you do. And you know, this doesn't... Uh, just affect the the religious life of the Jews because the Pharisees were social leaders. They were political leaders as well. And so it spread throughout the community, this holier-than-thou mentality. Think about it is, not much has changed. We don't wear boxes anymore, but we have a thread of holier-than-thou mentality that runs through our society. And I'm not even just singling out the church here. And what happens at the church? And there are people that want you to know that they're holy. There are people that want you to know that they're in touch with God. There are people that want you to know that they're spiritual. We have hand raisers in here. Not many. Some of you. And I'm not casting this upon any of you. But there are people that raise hands in worship to say, look at me. Look at me. Look how holy I am. I can raise my hands in worship. There are people who um, run the pews. We don't have any here, but there are pew runners. And sometimes it's to say, look at me. Look how God is infecting my life. When it becomes about you, forget it. Religion shouldn't burden. Religion should set free. Religion shouldn't hamper you and wear you down and weigh you down and bring this darkness upon you. It should do the exact opposite. But if we steer so much into that curve that it becomes more about us than it is about God, then we might as well just put a big box on our forehead and say, look at me. I think 
that the church is guilty of this from time to time. I think that um, politicians are guilty of this. I think that there are business leaders that are, are guilty of this. Celebrities are guilty of this. People who say, look at me and how awesome I am. When people are pointing to themselves, run away. Especially if they're saying something about God. Unless they're saying, look at what God has done. And it's a fine balance, isn't it? It's a fine line because you don't want to hamper anyone in their expression of worship. You don't want to hamper anyone in the movement of the Spirit. Because sometimes, and I told you a few weeks ago, I had to literally sit down because I could no longer stand in the middle of this song. I felt my knees go weak. And I had to sit and I know that there are times when, when other people experience something similar. I was watching this movie last night, and it was a movie um, I thought was one of that Too Fast and Furious line of movies. Um, it was called Faster, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is, I think there's like 17 of these movies now. Maybe this is a new one that I just didn't know, because um, it had uh, The Rock in it, and I, um, Dwayne, whatever. Um, and, and I thought The Rock was in these two Fast and Furious movies, but as I think about it, I think it's Vin Diesel. Right? Am I right there? Okay, yes. Um, or Sokopolis. You always know these bad trivia. Um, so I, I, I begin to watch this movie because I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to go to sleep, and I'm like, oh, yeah, mindless car chasing. Exactly what I need. This will be great. Just see some cars. But Faster is not this at all. It's a completely different movie. And I'm like, it's The Rock. He's in Disney movies. Right? He's got the smile that you just can't stop looking at. Um, you know, you smell what he's cooking. Uh, and, and so he's, it becomes this dark movie. And I sit up in bed and I'm really kind of disturbed by it. And, and, and I just got, I, I get this, just, oh my gosh, I can't. But I have to watch it because I'm like, there's got to be something. It's The Rock. It's Dwayne, whatever his last name is. He's, there's got to be di- a Disney ending somewhere here. He was in the little movie with a duck or something. You know, I mean, he's in family movies. What's happening here? And, and I'm just, and I start getting on this mindset, you know, of, of um, you know, think on things that are holy and worthy and things. And I'm like, oh, I'm not doing that right now. And I'm never going to go to sleep. I'm going to have bad nightmares, all this stuff. I'm out of control, okay, is what's happening. But I have to watch the end of this movie because I feel like there's got to be some redemptive quality. Periodically, he's in this really cool car, so there was car stuff, um, driving. And he, he tunes in to this preacher who's preaching. And this is a movie about vengeance. That's, there you go. Um, and he hears this preacher. And I'm forecasting going, the preacher is one of the people he has to get vengeance upon. Just, you know, it's one of those you-see-it-coming moments. Sure enough, he shows up at this huge revival tent. And here is this guy preaching who at one point in his life was like many of us, um, lost in darkness and sin. And then he gave his life to Jesus and he turned it around and he began to use the darkness from his past to shed light upon the world. And he's preaching and he's just, dude, he is el fuego. You know what I'm saying? He is on fire. He's just like burning it up. And there is people everywhere. Some are sitting, some are standing, some are doing this, you know, some are like, I mean, it's nuts. It is an old fashioned throw down, burn the tent up revival meeting. 
there's a cross cut in the top of the tent so that the sun shines a big cross on the middle, you know? I mean, it is just like, wow, everything you picture. Everything I wish I could be, you know, at times, not all the time, because, you know, let's be honest. Um, I don't have that rhythm. Uh, so you, you see all this, this stuff that's going on, and it's amazing. And I just get fired up hearing this guy preaching. I'm going to go, you're about to die. This movie is so bad. Why am I watching this? Because he's talking about forgiveness and turning back on your past and, and, and moving on and, and these things. And, and it comes time for the moment to happen, and they go down to the edge of the water, just the two of them. And there's this beautiful moment of a forgiveness that occurs. I mean, it's beautiful if you see it through the eyes of God. It was kind of a weird thing. Um, but his life is spared. And it's because he has changed his life and given it over to God. And I, and I started thinking, because he was like saying some stuff, you know, he wasn't like, please don't kill me. He's like, God, bless this man, remove him from the darkness. He's like seeing it into him. Forgetting who he is for a moment and saying, you need God. It doesn't matter the size of the box that I have on my head. It doesn't matter that I'm this pastor and have all these people in front of me and I can preach a revival meeting and people can run up and down the pew. It's about you. It's about God. It's about giving it all to him. Allowing him to shine. I think so often in our society, we forget that and we want the spotlight on us. Man, there are times when I want y'all to jump up and down during my sermons. There are times when I want to hear some hallelujahs and some amens, if only to know that you are awake. There are times when, when, I, when I want this, you know, when I got up. Here after that last, Daryl sits us down, and, and one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to break the rhythm of what we have done in the past. We're trying to break um, this, this, this lane that we have found ourselves stuck in. And yeah, we are the contemporary service that does things crazy, you know? But guess what? We have a pattern. Have you figured it out yet? Yes. We sing for 30 minutes, and you sit down, and I get up for 30 minutes. Whoa, mind-blowing, you know. Look at the Holy Spirit move. They have 30 minutes here, God, and 30 minutes there, God. And we find ourselves limited. And so sometimes I long for this just break of, of, of pew runners just for the sake that God's moving you. And so I get up after that, um, the prayer when Daryl sits us down, and this is what we're doing is we're going to break things and do things differently and try to bring more of uh, being with God in. And when I get up and we start singing this song, and I'm like, that's a song, in my personal belief, I don't have any box on my head or my arm, that's a song you can't sit down to. In death, in life, I mean, this is like, there's nothing, this is a song that you mosh pit to. I mean, this is, they're up here just going nuts. And Jen and I are sitting down and Jen goes, I really want to stand up. I'm like, well, stand up. And so we stand up and I'm like, and I turn around and I'm not judging any of you, only maybe a little bit. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. This is more about me and my expectations of where God moves. It's about the box that I put on my forehead. 
If it's okay for me to stand in mosh pit, then stand in mosh pit. But if you need to sit down, do it. If you need to never open your mouth and sing a note, that is okay. It doesn't matter if you're moving with God, if you're letting God come into your life. If you come to worship and you leave and you haven't been changed by God, you haven't worshiped. You haven't worshiped. And I got to tell you, hold on, Jason. And I got to tell you, Really? Pew, run. And, and I got to tell you, that ain't on us. If you come to worship and you haven't been changed by God, that's not Daryl's fault. It's not August or Heather or Jordan or Lawrence or AJ or Jason or Fred or me or Johnny Jaffe in the back. That ain't on us. If I come to worship and am not moved, and I'm not changed in some way when I leave, that's on me. That's on me and my expectations for how God moves. That's on me and looking at the religious institution and saying this is how it should be to fence God in. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Nobody. Nobody. It's the Holy Spirit in a corner. And yet for so long, we have wanted to do that. Now, I sound a little angry this morning, and I think it's because I watched a really dark movie last night. I haven't stayed up till like one o'clock in the morning watching this free ski movie. It was just like a documentary about these guys who helicopter ski just to erase, which by the way, awesome was to erase this darkness that was there but i think it's still got a little bit of hold of me but that's all right sometimes we as a church body need to hear this it's time we begin to release ourselves and understand that there is a rhythm to worship and it's not always the same And some days you feel like you want to jump up and down and sing praises to God. And some days you want to sit there and the person next to you gets to worship for you. Gets to sing for you. Gets to clap for you. Gets to say hallelujah for you. But when you leave, you are changed by God because you have allowed yourself to be changed. Church, let us open our hearts and our minds so that we can find the Holy Spirit inside of us and see how he changes us. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for being in our life, even, Lord, when sometimes we don't want it, and sometimes, God, we try to prevent it. God, we thank you that you step in to our lives. We thank you for opportunities to worship you. Help us, Lord, to do so being true to who you are creating us to be. God, we thank you and praise you in the name of our Son, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, we... um, Amen.